The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No my hooky mic other fold in Mihine called Duncan Gree talking uh my guest this week is Don Mann, who is CEO of the Pacific Media Network. Uh he is also someone who I reckon has got the most rich and varied CV of anyone I've had on this podcast. He is a He's a rugby league lifer from a big rugby league whānau. Um, he had a big commercial role at the Warriors for 13 years. Prior to that, he was a uh, constable and then a detective uh, for, the, for the police for, um, for 15 years and then latterly uh, worked uh, at, at ATED in, in commercial. So a very long and, and, um, and textured CV but not one that sort of screamed media. And yet, to hear him tell it, the, the, all of his roles, um, you know, he, he had a job to do that was to serve his community. And, and we sort of get into how you do that in these, these different roles to an extent. But um, for the most part, you know, I met, met Don around a year ago and, and he'd been in the job for a, about a year then. So he's, he's one of these, uh, there's a whole generation of CEOs who sort of started in the early part of 2020. Who've, who've only ever known the the pandemic um, era as as leaders, and and I think that they they should have a support group because it's you know it's a real thing that they've been through and they don't they don't know anything else. So and and obviously for the Pacific Media Network, which is basically it's a, it's a radio broadcaster. It has two core stations, uh, five thirty one PI and uh, New FM, and it has two. You know, broadcasts in eleven languages has to entertain, inform, create culture. It has so many complex and varied roles to fill, and the doing of those roles at any time is difficult to do it during a pandemic, particularly during a pandemic which has had a an undue and uh, disproportionate impact on the Pacific community, um, particularly in South Auckland, where their, uh, the Pacific Media Network is based. And and the, the big thing, and we touched on this at the start, is that the Pacific Media Network, which is funded through a mix of government, uh, you know, direct funding to, to achieve a particular mandate, and then commercial revenue, really actually epitomises what the merged RNZ TVNZ entity is trying to do at vastly bigger scale. So there are lessons there. There are also dangers there because this entity will necessarily be trying to serve every single audience, including the ones that are the Pacific Media Network uh, is, is trying and succeeding to serve itself already. So we talk a bit about how you know, the shape of that entity and how it interacts with, with smaller organizations like ours and, and like his will be will be crucial to sort of finding out what impact it will have, the, the good and the bad, on, on the whole of the New Zealand media. So, uh, yeah, Don's just a, a, an amazing person and um, I think this is a, is a really fun conversation. So, yeah, enjoy. 
and welcome to the fold, Don Man. Kia ora, kia ora Duncan, māro Great to be here. Um, so it's a year since we first met, I, I think about, and, and almost two years since you've flung yourself into this strange industry. Uh, how are you finding it? Oh, it's fascinating. Um, you know, change, disruptive, um, never a dull moment, amplified by COVID, of course. Um, so yeah, I love every minute of it. So... Tell me about the the Pacific Media Network. You know what what its remit is, how, the, the communities it serves, and uh, you know how, what how how it's how it does its work. I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, a national broadcaster um, based in Monaco, but serving the Pacific population of Aotearoa. So, you know, just under four hundred thousand people. Broadcast in ten languages. Thirty years old next year. Part public funded, part commercial revenue. Um, yeah, with responsibilities back to the Minister of Broadcasting and uh, the Minister for Pacific Peoples. So, I mean, you, just just touching on that, like you, you you can kind of sense some of the complexities and the the, the tensions of it, right? Like because you know, on some level, this is a mini version of what they're trying to build with the merged entity. You know, a bit of a mixed private public funding uh, model. You're trying to serve a hugely diverse group of people. I mean, the, the, all of the, the, the languages that you have to try and serve those communities is, is super difficult. Um, there's a very finite uh, pool of putia. Uh, yep, that's that's a really interesting point. And, and um, as the uh, the business case was set for the new public media entity, I sort of chuckled with my chair at the time, Peter Farfieu, that the new public media entity sounds a lot like us, you know, publicly funded, part commercial revenue, audience-centric, and uh, executing in a way that, that meets underserved audiences. So, so for us, it's by uh, multiple languages. So, I mean, I want to talk quite extensively about the, the merger and how that's going to interact with you later on. But, but uh, you know, do you... Because I, I think there's a, there's a really interesting challenge for basically any media organisation that, that existed prior to... The, the internet effectively, and that it, it must continue to serve those core audiences. Like some of its biggest assets and and work streams remain, you know, the the sort of quote unquote legacy media forms. And yet, you know, Pacific audiences are you know the average age of a Pacific person in New Zealand is twenty four. Mm. Therefore, they're going to be the first generations, the first communities to uh, often to adapt to um, and adopt new. Behaviors. How do you uh, internally resolve that? And do you feel like, given the mandate that you have, that you've been adequately resourced to to kind of serve those kind of two quite differing communities, uh, yeah, the, the younger great. and the older audiences? Yeah, great point. You know, look, our, our mandate is to uphold um, Pacific um, culture, language, identity. You mentioned, you know, the legacy media entities. We're in essence a radio broadcaster. We were founded on radio. And our trust deed actually specifically talks about delivering radio broadcast services, and it still sees that. And that, that's quite little. So you have to almost go beyond your yep. your trust deed yeah. to, to just to meet the demands of the moment. A- absolutely. So we're, we're um, probably like a, a lot of um, larger media entities, perhaps in the last five years, that we're we're a legacy radio. We we have to move towards multimedia and digital. Um, but we've got these responsibilities that are enshrined in our trust deed. And, and we've also um, got responsibilities under the Public Finance Act and Crown Entities Act to deliver certain outputs um, which revolve around radio. 
Um, but as you mentioned, you know, the average age Pacific is you know, just under 24, uh, 30 odd, over 30% of the Pacific population under 15. So if we just, if we stay in radio land, um, we won't be here in five years, you know. And so how do you resolve that? Because it does feel like there's a, a tension there that is almost impossible, right? Like you, it, you can't, I mean, the, the radio is a notoriously relatively cheap medium to create, and yet there is a, a minimum via, cost, to, cost to it. You can, and there are sort of some synergies you can create, whether it's redeploying studios to, to do other things, but fundamentally, to keep those things running doesn't leave, and it's not like uh, your organisation, um, I looked at some annual reports, it's not like it's vastly well-funded by comparison to some other public media entities. So how do you go about serving um, those, the, you know, like 30% under 15 is just a, a phenomenal volume of people. Yeah, yeah. Look, our, our, and, you know, for the record, it's on public record. Our, our uh, public funding is about $4.7 million, and we have about a, an additional $2 million in commercial revenue. So, you know, around about a 70, 30, 80-20 split. Yeah. And that, that funding um, just really allows us to, to employ people to broadcast by radio and it's actually 11 languages, 10 languages in English, and we, and we can't do much more. So at this kind of point in time, we, we do have a, um, you know, an over-reliance on broadcasting through third-party platforms like Facebook. We, we're kind of bound, bound into that model. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's a, it's a big challenge for us, and I, I guess for us when I look at, I know we'll talk about it later, but when I look at even RNZ prior to the public media entity, and now thinking about the public media entity, there are obvious opportunities for an organisation like PMN to, to grow, uh, to share infrastructure, um, places, you know, people, uh, as a new public media entity is formed. Because, you know, RNZ, TVNZ, publicly funded, we're publicly funded. It seems pointless to duplicate some of the big infrastructure services. So, well, yeah, I, I, and we'll, we'll dig into that that soon. But it, it's hard because all, all roads lead to the merger. I think in, in in any aspect of public media at the moment. I want to talk a bit about you first because, as I was saying before we got on air, I think you've got the most varied CV of anyone who's ever come on this podcast. And you know, media is a is a is a strange beast of an industry. I, you know, so it's all I've ever known, but I, I, I know what it is, I think. Uh, what what drew you to, to move across from the various spheres you've operated in and, and take up this yeah. this job? You know, I've, I've basically had uh, basically four roles in my career. Uh, I was a policeman. Uh, I was a general manager of the commercial of the Warriors. Uh, I did some time in economic development for ATED, for Auckland Council, and um, here... They all seem quite different, but at the end of the day, when I when I sort of think back and look at it, it's it's all really about um, serving people. You know, I know that sounds a bit idealistic, but for me, I always I always found meaning in trying to make a difference for um, sort of the communities that I'm I feel I'm part of. Um, a, a migrant father, my father's Tongan, came here just after World War Two. A uh, Maori mother. So, um, Whakapapa to Ngāti Kahanunu and Tūhoi, but urban Māori in all respects. So I've just tried to use the roles and the uh, positions I've had to um, serve back to my communities or, um, or make a difference for sort of younger people coming through. Um, and that's kind of how I rationalise it. I don't, um, I don't see too many difference between, between the roles myself. Um, 
I often joked when, um, when I sort of moved from the from the Warriors um, not long after the two eleven grand final um, to the city, and you know I, I sort of joke I went from selling tickets to Mount Smart to selling Auckland City. You know, it's the same, <laughs> it's the same concept. Um, and I rationalised the police um, was really yeah okay it's crime and it's law and order and it's compliance, but it's really about trying to make a difference in people's lives. And the Warriors was that too. So it's easy to it's easy to reconcile all those things. I do them all in 13-year blocks, so maybe I'll get restless after 10 years. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good long road ahead of you still, which I think uh, I'm sure the, the, the network would be grateful for. So the thing that's interesting to me about, about all those three um, roles that you describe is that they all, they're relatively public organisations or very public uh, in, in police and, and warriors. So, and they have can often have quite complex relationships with media. Do you, since you've kind of gone to the other side, if you will, do do you feel like you there are things that you understand about the way that media related to those organisations that that sort of feel different, or, or things that you think media could learn from, you know, having you know from the perspective that you had looking at it from from there. Yeah, I, I've always um, I was an accidental policeman. Left school, parents said, "Go get a job." Yeah, it was Army, Navy, Air Force, Police. Police came back first, I was in the police. So there was no great calling or anything like that. So I've, I've always been kind of a, maybe even at a young age, relatively socially, socially aware. Uh, it's down to sort of the friends I grew up with and I knocked around with. Um, so even though whilst I was in the police, I, was, I always had an interest in, in how things were being portrayed or, or, you know, looking at the system or how politics work. I marched on the Springbok tour. I was 16 and just on the road outside here, took part in that march. I was, I was seventh former at Calston Boys High. At the age of 13, I, I stood on Bastion Point. So even though I sort of had a police background and these sort of public roles, that kind of awareness of what's going around me, I sort of always always had. And so I've always had an interest in media, always. Um, and it's kind of ironic that I'm in the media now. And even... You know, I can remember back, you know, even looking at television and, and looking for people that looked like my mother or my father on television. I was speaking to some of the um, some journalism cadets the other day and they asked me a question about, um, you know, why, why is the journalism cadetship program important as a Tarita one? And I said to them, I said, well, when I was young, my hero was Muhammad Ali because I couldn't see anyone on television that looked like my father or me. And so... I hung on to an African-American man probably didn't have much in common, um, but now it's so much different. So I was going to say that because you would have, you know, because you've you've had a, a rich and full life, you will have seen the way that media interacts with your communities uh, evolve o- over time. And while I think there is a very justifiable critique of of the you know the fact that our, our newsrooms and our, our media still lacks for to a true representation of the the various communities that make up Aotearoa. You know, to, to to my mind, it has changed and changed relatively palpably over the last ten years. Do do you sort of see that as well, or like what's your sense of how this, oh, this industry has changed? Yeah, absolutely changed. And you know, um, you know the work that. Um, you know, beyond, you know, the formation of BB Radio, PMN, of course, Māori Television, even the work that Carmen Parahi's um, doing, um, that stuff with Sinead Belcher, and even, you know, I've seen some of the work uh, organisation like yourself have been doing. Um, but um, 
you know, it's come about recently, but even, you know, I was sort of thinking, it's interesting, not so long ago there was a Rugby, rugby League World Cup. I use Rugby League as an example because it's a, an area I know. And the Tongan Rugby League team played the Kiwis in Auckland. And it was interesting, I was watching how, how uh, media portrayed that event and how the council portrayed that event. So if you were to read, say, the, I was using New Zealand Herald, for example, it was reported there was this mass disruption and disorder in Otahu. But from a Pacific perspective, when I looked at that as a Tongan person, when I looked at that, I saw celebration, I saw joy, I saw people expressing their identity, but in, it was reported as mass disorder. So that's from a, a media perspective, and that's not too long ago. No, it's, and it's, then, it's like four and, or five years. Yeah, right? and then from a city council perspective, and I was inside council at the time, the Tongan population were viewed, were viewed not as ratepayers or residents. So whilst it was an international game involving New Zealand and, and the nation of Tonga, the 30,000 people that were at the stadium were New Zealand rate, were Auckland ratepayers and residents. So there was no fan zone. There was no infrastructure. There was no crowd control mechanisms. There was no, you know, uh, fan zone like you see downtown. Um, the organisation, the, the community was left to do their own thing. And... Um, so in two ways, from a, from a council perspective, an infrastructure perspective, the community was viewed as uh, non-citizens and from a, um, a media perspective of what I saw and what I consumed is that there was just a, a complete misunderstanding of what was actually happening. And, and, and so my point is, um, I guess, in relation to what we're talking about today is I could see these things even, you know, four years before coming into a role like taking on PMN. I'm acutely aware of that. So you were you were at 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 that time. At that time, yeah. yeah. And and part of AT's remit, you know, at times is to kind of generate, you know, the liaise with uh, sporting events and so on, and try and create some of that atmosphere around them. Why do you think uh, the organisation sort of missed on, on that? I mean, in some ways, you know, I, I relate to what you say, but the. Not not relate to, but I I, I, I absolutely understand what you say. But there was the, the fact that it was so decentralised. You, I remember the the cars the, 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 with Dongan flags kind of going around the city, and the the energy that that brought was actually unlike any kind of organised commodified sporting event that you can you can think of. So you know, but 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 the fundamental, the sort of injustice or the missed opportunity, depending on how you want to to frame it, of of that moment that. You know, these organisations still seem to, to kind of, well, missing as recently as that and, and are likely still to again unless something kind of more fundamental changes. Yeah, and I, I think it was just a simple disconnection. You know, it was, it was promoted as an international event to promote Auckland as a, as a vibrant city, but um, there was a misreading that the, uh, the, the people that were consuming it were Auckland were Auckland residents and like a home game as well, to, in a way. And to be Tongan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's just a, a, a disconnect there. So, and you have, through Pacific Media Network, uh, entered into a collaboration uh, you referred to glancingly before, Terito, um, which feels very groundbreaking to me in that it takes Māori Television, uh, Pacific Media Network, News Hub and the New Zealand Herald and attempts to, to train like a, a sort of a super diverse bunch of cadets into this industry. Do you want to tell us how that, that which is funded by the through the Public Interest Journalism Fund? Uh, t- tell us how that came about and how it's going. Yeah, sure. Look, when the Public Interest Journalism Fund came out, we we were looking at on on how we can uh, 
make most of the opportunity. We've got a, we've got issues around scale. You know, we're a small organisation, so it's not, not as simple of a, a, for us to just take on a whole lot of new talent and try to do it properly. You know, we can relate. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> so I had a phone call from Lois today. He was at uh, NZME um, and asked, would we be interested in signing a letter of support to um, NZME's Tarito application? I spoke to Lois and I said, well, well no, there'll be no letter of support. If, if you want us to be involved, we're part of the partnership or not. I'm, we're not going to be an advisor. We're not going to be an add-on and it won't be by way of letter of support. So I really take my, my hat off to NZME. Um, once I, I put that forward, NZME and USUB uh, uh, both welcomed us in. Um, the other uh, caveat I had was um, we'll be in if Māori television are in. And so I, I, I sort of... So it's important for us as a Pacific media entity to be alongside the tangata whenua media as well, so to be alongside Māori television. Yeah, and all three organisations, you know, they're, they're much larger organisations. They could have done it without us. They didn't need us. Um, but they're very welcoming and we're, and we're in there as an equal partner. We, we operate under a, a, a partnership agreement that gives us um, equal status alongside NZME and um, News Hub and Māori television. And that was important for us. I, you know, I just I didn't want it to be a, a tick-bocking exercise for any of those organisations or for us. Um, I wanted it to be meaningful for us at an organisation perspective from us. You know, there's no future in us just being doing what we're doing in Manukau, being all internal about it and not collaborating. We don't have the resources to do it. So if we're going to make a difference and if we're going to be around here for another 30 years, we have to we have to collaborate. We have to do it. Um, we have to grow through these um, partnerships. Now, there were some in the, in, in, in the Pacific... Um, uh, media community who had, who advised me not to do it, and they thought, well, we you know uh, partners within the Pacific media community should be coming together and doing our own thing, but, but it's not that simple um, because you know we're all scrapping over crumbs, and even bringing together you know three or four of the Pacific media entities, it's, we've all got our own challenges, and it's hard for us to do it. Um, and there's also the question of by doing that, am I, am I enabling somebody you know an organisation like NZME or NewsHub? to move into our space. Um, look, at the end of the day, if if there are more Pacific or Māori or diverse journalists coming through, we all win. It just can't, you know, it just can't be about what's good for us. Yeah, I, and I think that, that that tension between sort of build, building the islands, feel, feel, you know, and, and everyone having their own patch and sort of looking out for that feels like the old world and the, the new one is, is much more... Because to me, suddenly the the new ocean is social media, and it's the infinite space of the internet itself. And so, the only way we can ever acquire enough scale to kind of create great products and and meaningfully convey sort of culture and information to a, a local audience is is through um, collaborating in, in in sort of small and large ways. Otherwise, we'll just you know we'll be we'll, we'll be irrelevant. The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O-Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world. 
as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Skinny are helping you show how smart you are with the 1Q Quiz, an all-new, super-challenging and super-quick daily quiz built by The Spin-Off. Every Monday, Skinny are giving you the chance to prove you're smart with the Skinny Extra Credit question. Get it right and you'll get the chance to score yourself some Skinny Extra mobile credit so you can text, call or even video call your group chat and gloat about how big your brain is. T's and C's apply. So, so you've been here two, two years. Tell me what uh, has surprised and impressed you about, about your organisation through that time, particularly, obviously, that in, t- in its entirety it's been con- conducted against a time of extreme stress. Yeah, two years, um, two years and two years in a pandemic. Um, I think the, the main thing is uh, the impact of PMN, relatively small in terms of funding-wise, you know, and serving a highly segmented community. But our, our impact is enormous. You know, the government entities who are looking to um, communicate with the Pacific community um, through COVID all, all came through to us. And so we benefited from from the pandemic in terms of government spend. And so we, we were able to sort of demonstrate, okay, well, the, the reason why why 531 or why NUFM or why PMM was set up 30 years ago actually rang true during COVID, that, that it, was a, it was and we are a trusted um, conduit into the Pacific community. Um, that was probably the the standout our impact, and it's interesting. There was a there was a Tongan vaccination event in September last year in South Auckland. It was called uh, Malu'i Ma Tonga, you know, sort of protect Tonga. And there was a survey done by the Tongan Health Society on those who came through. And how did you find out about this? How did you hear about it? Well over three quarters was via radio. The next largest amount, which is still significant, was word of mouth. And and, and I know you've I know you've had um, you've spoken to Samson Samasoni before, and he's part of contributes to your work. You know, it sort of it talks about back to your earlier point. Yes, we have a young community. Yes, the path forward is in terms of digital consumption and technology and what have you. But there are still issues of of equity and access into the Pacific community, and the community and radio is still important in times of need, and word of mouth amongst the community that that it holds in high regard sort of face-to-face interaction and collectivism is still important. I mean, if you, you know, it only takes one and, and your whānau to be listening to, to, to radio and then they can transmit That's it. Right. I mean, it's interesting you say about the way that government used uh, the PMN through that period because there were periods of time when it was quite, quite harshly criticised, often from, um, say, potentially like health uh, providers within that community the government was for the way that had had reached out. Do you, do you feel and and the Pacific Media Network with its sort of cultural linguistic expertise and and all the interconnection is is was so well placed. Do, did government see you for what you could be from the start, or was that something that it sort of realised as it went through? I, th- I think Minister of Health realised as it went through. Um, I, I think, um, in fairness to to the government, you know, there's a large Pacific caucus, large ever. Um, they, the individuals there knew the potential of PMN, but... but It's the it gap a, between them and the ministry. And the and ministry the... and the authorities, they took a while to come through. But once they did, it was fine. I mean, we, we were... Yes, we have this we have this uh, public good part of our business, but we also have a newsroom, and it's not, not well known. We have a newsroom. We have a small newsroom. 
And so on one hand, we're executing government contracts, but on the other hand, we're, we're running a newsroom where people such as Dr. Colin Tukui-Tonga and, uh, and Debbie Sorensen from Pacific Media uh, Medical Association, some of the harshest critics of Minister of Health are, are criticising the government response on our news channel. Then on the other side of their business, we're promoting language. So, yeah, no, it, it, it took a while. If I take, uh, perhaps take the listeners back to, there was a mass vaccination event in Monaco. Uh, it would have been around August I can't remember year. the one. Yeah, it was designed by the Ministry of Health. It and wasn't it designed wasn't by the community. It particularly well attended, yeah. is that right? Yeah, very small Pacific and Māori uptake. Mm. Uh, and so it was just, um, that was a kind of like a, a, a turning point in the, well, so it's got an important marker in the vaccination process because after that, that's kind of like a big kind of mass event. After that, that's when you started to see the ethnic-driven vaccination responses by the various communities and then you really saw some traction. Um, you know, the 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 Vaxathon event was was the icing was the icing on the cake. But the Pacific communities were already heavily mobilised by that time. Well, that that to me sort of epitomises the the difference between like a government seemed to often be try to kind of come top down and 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 then expect people to do what what it was whatever it was they were asking and and. Vaxathon seemed to epitomise in a lot of the, the way that the different um, Pacific communities ended up yeah, running. Yeah. Yeah, the community up seems to be the yeah. a much more effective way to do it. Yeah, I mean, Vaxathon worked at the end of the day because, you know, Pacific people do love a competition and the Tongans wanted to do the Samoans and the Cooks and the way, <laughs> and so it worked in the end. Everyone loves the celebration. But, um, yeah, that when our, when our medium was used and, and other Pacific medium and, and Māori media and when there were, there were ethnic-driven responses, that things really started to, to move and despite a, a, a lot of the noise around last last year about you know Maori vaccination rates, Pacific vaccination rates, but Pacific vaccination rates were were the, they're actually always the good, they're always good. Yeah, it was never an issue. That's what Samson wrote wrote very um, yeah. compellingly about for us. It was never an issue. On on um, when I sort of think about sort of the the comms in the early stages, and um, you know we had our we have our prime minister, we had you know our, our health spokespeople, you know, and, and lately it was Mr. Hipkins and Dr. Bloomfield and. And others at the podium, but one of the things I felt was important was that uh, the Pacific people could see themselves and who was speaking. So you know, it's no disrespect um, meant to Prime Minister or Dr. Bloomfield. You know, they all did a good job in their communication. But there were no Pacific people on that on that podium. Every now and then, I think maybe once Minister Sipoloni might have got on the podium. Minister Seal might have had the opportunity to stand beside one of the ministers. So um, we embarked on a program with the um, Ministry of Health that I, I wanted to see um, our Pacific leaders in the health space being out and speaking to our community. Because whilst, yeah, the, the one o'clock briefings were, were fine, um, if Dr Talimai Tonga or, or Dr Tukui Tonga um, said exactly what Dr Bloomfield said, those That's communities would listen. <laughs> yeah. So it feels like the, there is an opportunity here to sort of heed the the hard learned and and you know in some ways tragically learned lessons of the the communication within the pandemic at this inflection point where we are setting up a new public media entity that takes RNZ and TVNZ and makes it into a new one and i think both of those organizations would would say and and i you know i think you could argue that they have made strides in in diversifying all aspects of their business. Um, I'm sure that they would also both acknowledge that there's there's more to do. How do you perceive the the merger and how it would how it might 
impact the Pacific Media Network and 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 what you would like to see as as your role into it? Because it there is a huge ceiling basement between the the best and worst case scenarios in terms of how it impacts uh, an organisation like yours. Yeah, first of all, at the very I see opportunity for us. I see opportunity for Pacific Media Network. Uh, and I, I spoke about infrastructure before, about you know thinking about our forward investment on digital infrastructure platforms and what have you. Radio transmission infrastructure is incredibly expensive. So I think there's tremendous opportunity in shared infrastructure. It seems pointless to me that a, a, um, three publicly funded organisations would all be building their own infrastructure. So there's opportunities for us here. I think there's also a, a question of, and this is, can be resolved when the new board and the management come in, is if what's potentially PMN's role? If we have, we've got certain expertise in language and broadcasting and language, is there an opportunity for PMN to take on that role on behalf of the new entity? Why set up a perhaps another broadcasting language unit in the new entity when an organisation like ours um, could take up that role and work in partnership with the new entity? So there's those sort of things. Uh, and the obvious other ones are sort of uh, people development and training. PMN's largely over its time. We, In our trust deed and our founding document, we have this responsibility. It's, it's written in one of the clauses there that we're responsible for developing a pipeline of Pacific broadcasters for Aotearoa. That's, that's, we're not the only ones, but it sits in our trust deed. It's not a small thing. So, <laughs> so, so just throw um, that in there. Yeah, so, but, and we actually do that. We've done it over the years. If you look at, say, for instance, uh, as an example, say someone like Susanna Laotawa at, at RNZ has, has come through Pacific Media Network at some stage, and there's many others that are through the um, Broadcast area people such as Tapu Misa have touched PMN at, at various times. So if we if we could really supercharge that responsibility, we could do it in partnership with a new public media entity. Do you have a sense that like, like do, have you been kind of uh, consulted through this? And do you have a sense that they? I mean, obviously, there's so much that's unknown about it now, uh, but you know that 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 it's likely that that it does have that posture towards you because the the inverse is also true that they decide oh we've got to build it ourselves and oh where where are some people with language and uh, expertise yep. in broadcasting oh cool we'll yeah. just we'll go grab that yeah look we yeah we were consulted and we we had time with Tracy Martin and we we spent time with Tracy Martin and her group um putting a submission in uh, MCH were very good. We had a couple of sessions with the MCH and and even um, we spent time talking direct to Minister Farfoy and his advisors. So feel very confident that our, our voice has been heard. Um, there are issues such as, you know, even using terms like underserved audiences. Well, well, you know, of course we'd say, well, according to who? Yeah, you know, yeah. We do underserved by who? By who yeah, and yeah. according to who? You know, yeah. we do that every day, so there's terms like that. Um, and then when, when you look at the, the detail about, okay, we're going to, we're going to set up um, this, this new entity will, will serve younger audiences and, and Māori and, and Pacific um, we know what happened when there was that attempt a few years ago to set up a youth radio station um, at RNZ, um, and, and they've since launched Tahi. Well, you know, we have in our armory, we have we have new FM in our armory, so th- there's already a, a vehicle or a mechanism there. And so that's got been, history, it's got it's authenticity, 20, you're not just trying to pull it out of the air. 20 years old in August, um, so there's a... There's a there's an entity there. So, we, we, you know, of course we would resist and, and challenge... Any any action that would um, negatively impact on us, or, or even potentially cause real risk to us, and being able to um, survive, we'd, we'd push against that. But in saying that, I, I do see opportunity um, for the organisation. There's also a, 
you know, we spoke before about, you know, the possible disconnect sometimes between political discourse and then action by, by ministries. I, I, you know, it's all very well to have these nice statements about what this uh, entity could mean. But you and I know what happens once we have people like ourselves, like you and I, take up their roles. We get competitive. We want to report on our KPIs. We want to we win. We want to report back to engineering. We want to win. Yeah. You know? And and then they, that's when it rubs up against what the the purpose of the entity is for. And that's where I think you know the a structure of it that that doesn't try and make it all itself, but where it has a desire to serve a particular audience or create something, it, it, it goes to the people with expertise and says, hey, do you want to work yeah, together yeah, on this? Yeah. And I must, I must mention um, Paul Thompson, actually, since I started two years ago. From the moment I started, Paul has, has knowing that I, you know, I, I don't come from the media industry as such, has reached out to me and um, he's been a great sounding board, always been open to be contacting him. And, um, and I, I do admire, you know, his philosophy, that radical sharing philosophy and, and, when, and his openness to collaborate. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm hopeful. Hopefully that's the... And hopefully there's not people like you and I and uh, <laughs> to get super competitive. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today, Don. I've really enjoyed the conversation and uh, like you, we'll be watching to see how this evolves in the coming months. Thank you. Thanks, Duncan. All the best. The Fold is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with Vodafone. It was hosted by Duncan Grieve, produced by T.I. Hair Butler, with production management by Rachel LaRue and series production by Jane Yee. To find out how Vodafone can help you reach your personal and business potential, visit vodafone.co.nz. That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O-Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.